Welcome to Crossroads and Cauldrons. We are two witches with jobs, families, and busy lives just like you. We talk about weaving the web of community, practicing magic, and life in the Deep South. everybody, welcome to the show. I'm Selena and you're listening to Crossroads and Cauldrons podcast. We have a fantastic guest with us today. Um, I'm super excited to have him on the show. He's been on my list for a while um, and he's got a new book out, which I just finished reading last night and it's fantastic. Uh, so Jason Miller is our guest today. He has uh, devoted 35 years to studying practical magic. He's the author of six books, including the now classic protection and reversal magic. He teaches online courses, including strategic sorcery, um, the sorcery of Hecate and the black, uh, the black school of St. Cyprian. So welcome, Jason. It's so nice to have you on the show. Oh, thank you for having me. Wow. Hearing that bio read back the 35 <laughs> years, I'm like, wow. <laughs> It wow. hits, it hits, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, and I'm looking at the monitor and the gray. I mean, I've had gray since I was like 35, mm. so I can't complain too much, though. My dad was completely bald by like 22. Like he had that oh, wow. 70s comb over with like the ter- like the strands of hair that are just like slick. So Little stringy still, ones, yeah. <laughs> right, I still have hair. I had COVID hair down to my shoulders, so, you know... Uh, I'm not. I'm. Old, I'm going to be fifty at the end of the year, so I'm doing all right. I, can't, I guess I can't complain. But still, You're thirty-five just... years in magic, witchcraft, and the occult. Ooh. Wow! And then there was probably <laughs> time before that, but we won't count that time. Now I, I hear you on the gray. I've been going gray since I was eighteen, though, so it it doesn't quite have the same impact. But it's starting to get there. Starting to get there. Uh, but anyway, I'm I'm happy that you're here. I I like I mentioned, I just finished this book last night. Um, I have a digital copy, so I can't show them the beautiful cover, but I'm sure it will be in our in our social media posts later. I oh, just yeah. got copies. Oh, wonderful! Um, so I just got my own physical copy, so I can. <gasps> oh, it's so beautiful! I that love the cover art. Is and all it. the art inside. Right, it's gorgeous. I mean, the cover is, um, so the art inside Mm -hmm. is done by my friend, uh, Matthew Brownlee, a longtime friend, old roommate. Uh, We knew each other in high school. And the cover art is done by Cambian Art, um, who it's, it's from a collection that he's doing of uh, the spirits of the Goetia. And they're not finished, and he, he's so cool. He's very kind. He, he gave me a whole bunch of other ones to use in, like, blogs and promos and things. And um, sadly, he doesn't do commissions because I was like, I love, you know, I love your work. I would love to just get you to do a painting, and he doesn't do that. He's busy. But um, I just – Wiser found him for the cover, and I was just like, wow. Because his vision of those spirits is very, very close to my own, very close to how they appear to me. Um, whereas so many other depictions of them are like 
they're demonic in like horror movie ways. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. the bat wings and the horns and the dripping blood fonts and things, <laughs> you know, they don't appear like that to me. They're much mm-hmm. more elegant. Uh, they're much more earthy, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're chthonic in that sense. And um, he just nailed it. So Cambian Art, that's not his name. It's his, it's his company name, it's uh, <laughs> but better to go with that. But great job to both artists. Um, it, so I'm the happy. artwork is fantastic. I absolutely. That's what struck me the most is when I saw that, when I initially saw the cover art, I was like, I'm reading this book. Uh, <laughs> it's beautiful. Um, so let's talk a little bit about consorting with spirits. So, <laughs> so many people, this is a big topic um, that people have a lot of feelings and a lot of thoughts about and a lot of misconceptions. So I'm so thrilled that you've written this book. I wish I had had this book 20 years ago, uh, but I'm glad that I have it now and I'm glad that others have it now. So (laughs) your approach to spirit work is super practical. And this is what I try to impress on my students so much. So your book is probably going to be required reading material for my students going forward. Um, But but treating spirits the way we would treat physically manifest spirits, like people and animals and plants, you know, that is the way to approach working with spirits. And it's hard to get that into people's heads. So talk to me a little bit about the way that you approach spirit work and the way you approached um, writing this book and and putting this information out there. Yeah. So, um, there, there's a few ways that I, I view spirits and, and magic that I notice are different than how a lot of other people view them. And then there are some things that aren't necessarily different than how other people view them, but they don't get talked about as much in books. So the, I, the title, Consorting with Spirits, comes from, well, first of all, it's a nod to a crime. like. You know, if if you or I got caught in uh, 17th century England doing what we do, we might be charged with consorting with spirits. Mm -hmm. So, but apart from that, the idea of consorting is regular, like meeting regularly. Like if we meet once, we're not consorting. But if suddenly we're out and about all the time and people see us, then we're consorting, right? Mm-hmm. And the both uh, both both Merriam-Webster and Oxford English also add in usually with like, you know, undesirable people or people who are, you know, nefarious. Mm-hmm. So there's that that, you know, you're you're spending time with the wrong kind of people. And of course, spirits as far as society goes whether it's the religious establishment or the scientific establishment, you're kind of, you know, you're doing something you're not supposed to be doing. Um, So I just, I loved it because, you know, anyone might summon a spirit. And, And I think even some magicians and witches, they have the idea like, well, I want to do this, so I better look in the book and find what spirit is associated with this, call that spirit once, and then it's over. Like a vending right. machine. <laughs> right, yeah, like a like, like vending machine. And you know what? It's a way to do magic. It's okay. But I always think that uh, 
the mark of a, of a successful and long term, and again, 35 years, wow, um, work in this field is that you develop relationships with spirits. You, you have ongoing and transforming relationships with spirits, and much in the same way that you do with people. And so the way that you approach them matters. Um, the fact that you never, you know, we, spirits are more subtle, like this, the non-incarnate spirits, because you're, you're absolutely right. We're spirits as well. We're organized and oriented around bodies. But spirit, other kinds of spirits that we typically think of spirits, they're organized and oriented in other ways that from our perspective are more subtle than we are. And yet people are willing to accept that they don't know everything about another person. Yet they're very ready to pigeonhole the spirit into, well, this is what it is and this is what it isn't. And, you know, I'm gonna act like, like that's true. So my theology, if I have one, is that there's more out there than we know, and there's more out there than we can know. And so whatever I know about the spirits isn't a full picture. And some of what I think might be incorrect. Um, it may be meaningful and it may be useful, but it may, you know, it may prove factually incorrect. So I have this very different approach and it it really does boil down to so many issues are solved by think about this if this was a person mm -hmm. right um one of the classic things that that exists in in really every tradition the world over is how do you tell if a spirit is telling you the truth right mm -hmm. and so some will say well there's divination to, uh, to And then others will say, well, there are names that you force it to tell the truth, right? And then there are, you know, so you've got these protocols that are relied upon. But if you think about it in terms of people, that all falls apart. Mm -hmm. right? And the protocol is actually dangerous in a way because... If I'm lying to you, the best thing that I can do is convince you that I can't lie because you have something over me, right? When in fact you don't. So once you've established like, well, now this spirit cannot lie because I found <laughs> it under the name, you know, Jehovah, you know, AHVH1, <laughs> um, it, it cannot possibly lie. Well, now if it's lying, it's like, <laughs> I can tell this dude anything. <laughs> and so I'm always just like, look, just, just evaluate the information the same as you evaluate other information. It's a data point. Does it make sense? Is it actionable? Uh, is there great risk in taking the action? If not, then give it a whirl. If so, then maybe be careful. And um and that applies over time, too. That goes back to having um, a relationship, which we'll talk about more later on. But, you know, observing, OK, this is what I'm hearing. This is the actions that I'm seeing. Are they in sync or are they out of sync with each other? You know, that's why, you know, having building an, a relationship over time 
is better than just a one-on-one -on -one situation. You know, Absolutely. that's like, it's like grabbing somebody off the street and saying, Hey, I want you to help me with, get, with winning the lottery. Right. They don't know who this is. You know, they don't know who you are. They're going to be like, sure, I can help you with that. What's in it for me. Right. Exactly. So you, go ahead. This, I was going to say, this is why offerings are so key. Right. Mm -hmm. um, when it, when I explain offerings, I say, listen, if I need to borrow a hundred dollars and I go to my best friend, he's just going to be like, here's a hundred bucks. You know, do you need more? Are you okay? Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, if I go to a coworker, maybe he will, maybe he won't, maybe she will, maybe she won't. Depends. Like have, do we have a long history of going out to lunch where one week she pays, one week I pay. Well, those are offerings, right? Those are, that's, that builds trust and exchange and, and things like this, where we rely upon one another. So maybe yes, maybe no. But if I go up to a complete stranger, they're going to be like, no, that's, why would I do that? So that's relationships. Offerings are great for building relationships. And yeah. You know, you mentioned before about how different um, spirits are organized. Um, one of the things that 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 people okay, hold on, let me words words. So I, I relate it to visiting a foreign country, a, a country that has a culture that's completely different than you know, not like going to England. Okay, I could be fine over there, but like going to a completely different culture, um, and I may have an idea of you know, what I read in the travel brochure, right? But once you spend time and immerse yourself in that culture, all of these different subtleties of communication and nuance awaken for you and for your experience. And that completely shifts your perspective on dealing and relating with people from that culture. Um, and the same thing, I have found the same thing is true in working with spirits. Um, some are more, you know, in line with the way I already think, but there, but a lot of them are not. Yeah. And that's kind of the way I approach working with them is learning a different culture. Um, and how would you approach immersing yourself in a different culture? Um, so you, you mentioned in the book how that spirits are um, organized consciousness and they're organized in different ways that, as you mentioned, we can't pin down and people try to pin them down. Um, but there are some ways that appear to be consistent. I, I'm not, I'm not going to say universal, but people consistently have similar experiences. Can you tell us a little bit about some different ways that spirit, that those consciousnesses are organized? Sure. So, you know, when we contact a spirit, let's say the Archangel Michael, right? So that spirit, at least our experience of that spirit, things that play into its organization, um, the religion that we're that that it's now associated with, even if it even if Michael was another kind spirit before that, right? Um, for for two thousand years, an archangel within Christianity, longer than that within Judaism. So it's organized around religion. It's organized around culture. Um, 
that doesn't mean it's confined by those things, right? Mm -hmm. So there are other things that it can be organized around. It's organized around the concept, a martial concept, right? Like what mm -hmm. makes Michael different than other angels? So it's organized around this martial concept. It's organized around uh, angels in general, I find, are organized around being representatives of a deity. So there's a, an element of collectivism and conformity that, say, is different when you're working with demons, which are really organized around the ideas of rebellion and independence. And so you've got these things, and it's vast. Michael is vast. You or I can call upon St. Michael anywhere on the globe and get a response. Now, if we are at a shrine to St. Michael, we might get a stronger response because then that vast spirit starts to be organized around a place as well that, that is sacred. Uh, so it's worth pilgrimages and things like this to get. It's almost like uh, finding a place where you get better reception. <laughs> Now, that's a great analogy. <laughs> moves closer to the physical. Con that bridge becomes easier. And so, but then maybe if that's a very public and crowded place, so you gain a little foothold as far as Michael becoming more physical in that spot, but you also gain more distractions, so your ability to bridge it from your end goes down, right? So it's almost like, well... I can go to where the signal is stronger, but I can't bring my best antenna. So it's a, it's a game. And people, when they, when I explain this to people, they're like, Oh, it's, you know, you're being so complex. Whereas other <laughs> teachers are just like, it works this way. And I'm like, yeah, because it's more like a more subtle being. You should expect it to be more fluid and complex than dealing with people, not less. Um, and so the other, like, let's take another example to compare. I've got a, a, a creek on my property. It runs through my property here in Vermont. There is a spirit or a group of spirits to that creek. Um, they are very physical, like really close. They are also not vast. If you were to Invoke the, the spirit of the creek, even if I were to give you a name and a, a seal that I've, you know, bounded to or something, I don't think you would get much of a response. Mm -hmm. uh, it's oriented around this physical location and not anywhere else. Now, maybe if we started a cult and, you know, spread it everywhere and built shrines, then it would reorganize itself that in, 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 a, in a vaster way. But not right now, right? It's, it's sort of like if I went outside in my yard and shouted to my neighbor across the street, they're going to hear me. Yeah. But if I went out in my yard and I shouted to you in Vermont and I'm in Mississippi, you're not going to hear that. You're not going to know it. I'm calling. But we've set up all of these telephone lines between here and there. So I could use that now that all of that's established and place right. a phone call to you. You sure. know. Okay, keep going. But it also changes, <laughs> you know, it might change the orientation of that spirit. That spirit might grow and become more vast or or perhaps merge with other 
types of spirits over time, because that's the other thing. Um, you know, people will look at a, a spirit like Astaroth, who, who I, you know, talk about extensively in the book. And some people will say, well, Astaroth is a demon listed in these grimoires. And then other people will say, no, 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 Astaroth is not a demon. Astaroth is Astarte, the ancient goddess. And it's sort of like, well, it's not that simple, right? It, it's not like Selena is a podcaster, but Selena is also a daughter and, you know, whatever other roles you have. So it's spirits are more subtle, more fluid. So just like humans being being oriented to bodies, we kind of have a myriad of futures open to us, but a past more or less in a straight line. Whereas spirits might have multiple pasts and multiple futures open to them at any given moment because they're they're oriented in a way that's different than how we are. A way that we can understand some of, but there are things that we might not even have the capacity to understand. You know, I was going to ask you, what do you feel is the, um, we have an impact from interaction, interaction with spirit and we, um, our consciousness evolves as we sort of understand from a different perspective, just like if we were relating with other people, the more people we know and talk with, the more our, our understanding of the world expands. Mm -hmm. So what do you think is the impact of human consciousness um, for them on the spirits themselves as they are also evolving? Well, you know, it's, it's, um, let's say that we, we give, uh, and, and, you know, I think that this is probably correct, that the existence of Hecate is not dependent upon human understanding. Like there's an element of, of Hecate that is primordial. Um, that doesn't mean that she would be known by a name that has a Greek etymology, right? Or that she, that if you, you know, if that being were able to be contacted, say, on another planet by another civilization entirely, that she would have stories about leading someone into the underworld or as the transcendent goddess between the first and second father in the Chaldean oracles, or as, um, you know, a titaness that, that aided the gods. Like, these very specific stories um, become part of them and part of their organization and the element of their organization that we can access them through, right? So it's just like, you know, if we were here on on the interview and I just started referring to you as like, listen, sweetie, <laughs> you would just be like, what? A, I, I don't know if I can curse. You can or not, swear. Right? You can but swear you on the show. Idea. <laughs> yeah. what, right. Like what a, you know, condescending jerk this this guy is being. But if your significant other was to say, all right, well, listen, sweetie. Mm hmm. It's very different. 
right? Because they're accessing you through that way that your consciousness is organized. So if I were to access that, it would be inappropriate, which is why I would never do that. <laughs> and I appreciate that about you. Thank you. <laughs> no, I really like um, what you're saying there. Cause that, cause we sort of forge a, I, I guess we um, interact with or pick up on a particular spirit entity and then we forge our own bridge to that. And through that other humans have access to the bridge by, I guess, our nature of being human. So yeah. that, that entryway will be different for entities approaching from a different, a different bridge, crossing yeah, a different bridge. bridge to get there. Interesting. You're giving me a lot to think about, which is my favorite. Um, so you're talking, I wonder if that's why so many people have initial spirit contacts with ancestors because they're connected through the DNA to yeah. people that are much closer to them spiritually. You're a walking, talking, physical link to your ancestors. Whether you like your ancestors or not. You, you have, have that bridge installed. That bridge. Right. <laughs> Interesting. So you talk about, in the book, you talk about um, working, consorting with spirits. From, from You're approaching it from three very specific systems in the book. Um, so you're coming from a Christian perspective, a pagan perspective, and a Luciferian perspective. Can you talk to me about why you chose those particular yeah, approaches? You know, uh, I'm, I'm not particularly like a Luciferian or anything. And, and I, as I said, my theology is there's more out there than we know and more out there than we can know. Like, that's it. That's my religion. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm initiated into other religions. And I guess from that perspective, I'm a bad member of all of them. <laughs> like a bad Christian, a bad heretic Christian, all around, <laughs> bad paint, you know, bad witch, whatever it is. So, because I'm not a person who upholds like faith, dogma, points of view, um, other than truth. So, or uh, not even, and I don't even claim that seeking that. truth. So, <laughs> so that's, um, you know, uh, that's where I come from, from that. But I, I chose these three. Um, because, and, and really from the magical perspective, it's almost two because Luciferianism really only exists within the context of Christianity. Of Christianity. Yeah. Right. So it's sort of a, like what I, what I sometimes refer to Christio diabolism, right? Oh, I love that. <laughs> right. So the, the view of that would be that it's not an either or side, right? It's almost like the heavens and the angels represent collectivism and a larger perspective and the, uh, the, the devil, for lack of a better, and the demons represent rebellion against that and, um, and uh, you know, individualism. And the thing is, people are like, well, that not that one side versus the other? And I say, well, no, because like you were a teenager once, right? Like mm -hmm. part of growth is getting these rules handed to you that are, we hope, good guidelines, right? Mm -hmm. And then rebelling against them to test their boundaries and then seeing which ones that we look on and like, actually mom and dad were right. They That's probably not a good fit 
you know, good, good rule to break. And then other things we look back on and like, no, they were, they were wrong. This is, this is the good way. And then there are certain things where, again, it's a balance. There's like, you know, too much collectivism leads to stifling any freedom. Too much individualism leads to stifling or neglecting those around you because, or, or any kind of collective solution. So I'm, those two are kind of connected in my, in my head, but the way that you approach spirit work from, um, it really matters. And since in the book, I decided, you know, about halfway through the book, I, I start to get into evoking spirits, which most people relate to the grimoires. Right. Mm -hmm. And so people, always want to take these seals and these spirits and say, you know, but I don't want to do it from a Christian perspective. I just want to throw all that Jesus stuff in the garbage, but I want to keep the names and the seals because they're cool. And I want to do it invoking by using pagan gods, or I want to do it by using uh, Luciferian methods. And so the point in the book is that the names and the seals arose within a certain context right so they were they those were created and those spirits bound by magicians working in this way so what makes you think that those things are valid outside of that context right mm -hmm. like if you're a supervisor at you know at, at ernst and young right? <laughs> like you're, you're a vice president at ernst and young you can't walk into, uh, you know, I don't know, AT and T, and just, and just be, like, be I'm a vice, vice president. president. God damn it! You will do what I say because you're like not here. Like that's right. You know, your position is irrelevant. So sometimes people will just take this like, oh well, all I need to do is like pull these ingredients out and then dribble in the things that I like. Mm -hmm. But that's not the case. It changes the dynamic. So you have. So I gave examples of how this dynamic would change. Like when you're doing it with Hecate, it's not that it can't be done, but now you're invoking something outside of Hecate's traditions and organization. So what bridges that, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What are you going to replace that function with? Right. And then if you're doing it from a Luciferian perspective, you're approaching it in a different way. So as if in the traditional grimoire way of doing it is essentially an exorcism, right? You're going in, exorcism just means binding by oath or juring by oath. So in, a, in what we think of as an exorcism, you're saying this, you spirit, bad spirit, you're bound, now go you know, back to hell or into those pigs or wherever the spirit is going to go. Whereas in an evocation, you're saying bad spirit, I'm binding you, same name, same powers, appear at the edge of my circle, mm -hmm. right? But if you're doing it from a Luciferian perspective, it's different. It's not an enemy power. It's not the other side. It's, it's your immediate supervisor, mm -hmm. right? So... Um, you're kind of like, you know, to, to, to use the, the Karen analogy, you're, you're walking in, you're like, you know, I want to see the manager. <laughs> yes. 
and you might know, be in the wrong store. So, right, and Lucifer, and and in this case, the deacons of the zodiac, mm-hmm. and like you know, and because of this, you've got to do what I say. Interesting. You mentioned when um, a little bit earlier when you were talking, you were talking about um, how angels and demons are sort of organized and they're um, not at odds with each other, although they have different functions. Um, And that sort of makes me think about a lot of the process of witchcraft and a lot of the process of soul crafting. If that's if that's our goal, that's my goal. So we'll assume that's our listeners goal is a process of sort of making and unmaking. And um, that's how you evolve. That's how you grow. I I kind of think of it like building new muscle. You know, you have to sort of tear the muscle in order to expand and make room for new muscle. So for me, that's sort of the function of the demon side of working with angelic races. If you look at them as races. Um, So it's interesting that you, that you put it in that way because that made some things click for me. Um, in your, in your book, you talk about different methods of spirit communication as well, um, including, um, resonance with spirits, um, actual channeling communication type spirit, uh, communication with spirits, and then also, uh, dreams and receiving information in that way. Can you talk a little bit about the different ways that spirits communicate with us and how we sort of don't always recognize what's happening? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, So, you know, we've got, if you think about that idea of, of bridging that gap of tuning, you know, tuning in to, to be able to communicate with the spirit. There's, there's all these different modes but and sometimes people will will just be like well whatever the strongest mode is that's the best mm-hmm. but that's not the case right like if somebody just needs to tell me something very quick or pass on a piece of information or before this interview you know we we both i'm sure got reminders from the app the scheduling app, like, hey, this is coming up. Mm-hmm. If we each got a phone call from someone to say, hi, this is so-and-so, this is, you know, it would be annoying, right? <laughs> if they showed up at my house to let me know, right, that would be yeah, annoying. Would be, yeah, exactly. Somebody's knocking on the door, like, just to let you know, you've got this thing coming <laughs> up. Okay, I got to go on to the next house. So... It's not always, it's not a matter of what is the strongest, right? Mm -hmm. It's a matter of what's the most appropriate. So the idea of resonance is, it's like one-way communication or, or not even, it's just you are now representing that being or you're making a request to that being in a light way. And it can very quickly you know, if you're doing, let's say you're doing some, you know, sympathetic magic, right? Mm-hmm. And then you call upon that demon, like, you know, as I drop these coins into this bank, let let coins drop into my bank. Uh, it's an old Venetian spell relating to the demon Clownet. And so 
Um, you don't need to actually have him there present full 4K HD in the scrying mirror going, yes, now drop another one. Yes, 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 okay. <laughs> now I will do this for you. Okay. You know, like, it's unnecessary. And and it it very often takes a lot of work and effort and time to get that done. Um, whereas if you want to, you know, seek out some kind of life-changing advice, um, or if you have something that you want a spirit to do that is very complicated and nuanced, then or or if you think it's a spirit that you for whatever reason you want this spirit to do that and you want to do it through binding it and make sure that it does it because you're not comfortable with making offerings and and asking it right because you're a control freak yeah because you're a control freak or that <laughs> i mean it happens just i have that <laughs> or you know i'm kind of like you like i'm like if i have to do that I'd rather just find somebody else. But then there are other people who have ideas that like, you know, if you're not doing that, the spirits will just, you know. Uh, that's true. That's true. So, I, and I don't think that's the case. If anything, I think it's the opposite. Yeah, I think that's down to what tradition were you trained in. You know, if that's right. how you were trained to do it, you may not right. even consider that it could it, be another exactly, way. Exactly. I, you know, I always put it up like, Look, if somebody like cornered me at a pagan convention and is like, are you Jason Miller? And I'm like, yeah, I'm Jason Miller. And then they like shoved me against the wall, put a dagger to my throat and said, are you really Jason Miller? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fucking. <laughs> they make you repeat your name three times. <laughs> I'm really Jason Miller. And they're like, I bind you by tetragrammaton in this. And if you're not Jason Miller, I'm going to call the cops and have you thrown away. And you must sign this non-disclosure agreement. And <laughs> You know, by the time they're done, I'm just like, I am not going to do anything for you that I don't have to do. So it, it's like, that's just not how I like to run my life. But other people, that's the only way they can feel comfortable and we'll let it go, right? <laughs> because you should be able to do that if you need to, right? You should have that in your tool chest if you need to do it. Um. It, it because you never know you might ask somebody to do something and then rarely you will find that person that's just like a bad actor and, and manipulative and takes advantage so but you, you don't want to open with that <laughs> right you know you should be able to do it um so these are different ways of of communicating right um dreams dreams are wonderful there, I always consider dreams like in, if you dream of a spirit after an evocation and it tells you something useful and meaningful, and that's key, you can almost consider it like, you know, a backup. Like, okay, we couldn't bridge the gap in the evocation, but here's the, now that you're in a more subtle state, I can reach you and give you this information. Mm -hmm. and so, but it also might just be that, you know, if you just did an evocation, then an evocation is on your mind. So your acetylcholine neurons, as they make dreams, 
Well, you know, instead of the latest episode of Moon Knight, they're making it out of the stuff you just did, which happened to be the evocation of a spirit. So you can, you you know, evaluate it based on how useful and meaningful it is rather than... Right. I mean, at the end of the day, if it's something that's useful and meaningful for you, even if it's something your own mind put together, yep, it's still useful, it's still meaningful. Um, one of the things that you... Um, mentioned in the book, which was my absolute favorite. Um, first, I'll, I'll mention one thing. There's two things. The first is that um, people are so concerned with, I can't hear the spirits. I can't hear them. How do I hear them? And they're not at all concerned with, can they hear me? Am I being clear? Am I making myself heard? You know, they don't think about that as much. Um, so I'm super glad that you mentioned that in the book. But also, I think the fav- my favorite thing is one of the um, sub sub titles in in the chapter is sit down and shut up and it's about meditate please talk about that because uh my students hate hearing me harp about it and our listeners hate hearing me harp about it so you get to harp about it for a little while (laughs) okay so now there's there's actually there's two different things i actually have to look in the book and see what i really said because there are two different things that are really important that the other thing I want to talk about next, and that's idle time. So sitting down and shutting up. Okay. Yeah. So two things that might look alike. The first of them is meditation. Mm-hmm. Sitting down, shutting up, and using your mind to focus in on one thing. Breath, candle flame. Actually, I tend to not like candle flames for various reasons, but breath, a mantra, whatever the focus is. And what you're doing at this point is you sit, you focus, you get distracted. You recognize that you're distracted, you return to the focus. You sit, you get distracted, you return to the focus. You sit, you get distracted for a long period of time. You catch yourself, then you return to the practice with no thought of how long it's been or anything like that. You sit and you let your, you know, (laughs) you, you get so distracted and then you return to the practice. And then you have a few minutes where you're not distracted and you think, I'm really meditating now. I'm focused so well. I'm super meditating. And then, crap, that's a distraction too. Mm-hmm. And you return to the breath. So if you're if you're out there and you think you're bad at meditation, you cannot be bad at meditation. There it's it's a human impossibility. Meditation can be disturbing to you, can cause you problems in rare cases. So it's not that it's good for everyone, but what you're doing is you're training the mind to focus, which is important for magic. You're training the mind to recognize distraction, which is super key with spirits because the first way a spirit is going to communicate is through ideas in your mind, perhaps even voices. But if you meditate, you get a feel for the texture of your own thoughts and mind. Mm-hmm. And it it will be you'll be so much more prepared to feel 
and and discern what's a spirit and what's not. Now the that's other such side, a key. Oh, go ahead. All right, I was, no, I was going to say that's such a key thing because people come into um, wanting to learn witchcraft and they have a lot of misconceptions about what meditation is and that you have to have a completely still mind for you know an hour and that's that's just not it. That's not it at all. And I'm so glad that you spelled it out like you're learning to recognize your voice so that you can discern when it's not your voice like yeah. that's the whole point and you're learning to shift consciousness as well which just sort of comes naturally through that process it does. so thank you for that now continue please <laughs> so so the other side of this and and i'll say that unfortunately a lot of the early occult and witchcraft authors when they talked about meditation they would say things like sit and completely clear your mind for 20 minutes or an hour. And it was almost like these people are writing to make it look like they can do that. Right. Um, it's when, a constant state of clearing. <laughs> yeah. When they, they really can't. And when you get into the stuff that is actually written from India and, you know, Tibet and, and China about meditation, it becomes clear, like, that's not the expectation. That is not the training. Like, sit down and clear your mind. <laughs> you know, it's almost written to, like, make them look, like, greater than they are. And they didn't do anything else that would that would possibly point to that being the case. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah. So, so then the other side of this is the idle time. And we don't think about idle time as being something we need to seek out anymore. But we do. In, you know, the modern world just increasingly made idle time less and less of a thing. We, we no longer had to just sit and be bored and, and sit in a car or, or travel or walk without anything else to occupy us. And then in 2007, we took the last little vestige of idle time and shot it in the head with an iPhone. And so now you don't even get to be idle waiting in line for a coffee. You're checking email, right? Like idle time is gone. But we need it. We desperately need it because it is in idle time that we make connections, right? It, you can read. 20 books this year or, or this month. But if you don't take time that's not occupied, you'll never make the connections between them. You'll never understand them as deeply as you would if you did. That's idle time. And idle time, the sitting, the receiving, the, the playing with the mind, the letting the mind run free, this is so key for perceiving spirits. Um, and, and very often people will immediately be concerned with like, well, what doesn't that let fantasy run? Like, what if I'm in having a spirit mm -hmm. communication, but if it's fantasy, I don't want that, right? Like I have to weed that out. Well, first meditation will give you a good indication if that's the case. But once you're having the experience, roll with it fantasize, daydream, play with it, go. And then afterwards, that's when you sit down and you do the analysis. The problem with, uh, with 
in the middle of the experience going, am I really having this experience? It's like when you're trying to learn to ride a bike and, and you get pushed and you don't even know that someone's hanging, not hanging onto the bike anymore. But the moment you realize that someone is not hanging onto the bike, you fall. Mm-hmm. Because that moment of, I don't know how to ride a bike. Am I, am I doing this? Clip. Uh, when people try astral projection, the, they, they get the experience of the, the being free of their body. And then they think, well, can I still feel my body? And then bam. Oh, I guess I was just fantasizing because I can still feel my body. Well, <laughs> right. yeah, because you're not dead. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if you can't feel your body, you're in some deep doo-doo. Um, so it just disturbs, you know, the whole thing. Let it play out. Do the evaluation afterwards. You know, I think there's a difference, too, between fantasy, between imagination and between delusion. They don't have to be the same thing. Like, imagination is 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 a bridge that's how our minds make connections it's how we explore concepts yeah you know so it may feel like we're making it up and maybe we are but at the end of the day if it's useful if you if it takes you to an understanding then there's nothing wrong with that it becomes a problem when it becomes delusion um but that's a different thing altogether. That is a different thing. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I did a lot of training in Tibetan Buddhism. I, I used to live in Nepal and, and uh, they have a, 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 the way that most Tibetan tantras work is a, a great saint like Padmasambhava or Milarepa or so on receives a vision of a tantric deity and and a mandala that surrounds them, right? And they're very specific. Right, it's very specific. And so it's got teeth. It's not just some crap they made up, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's something that was passed from spirit to them and then they pass it on to students. But the students don't just keep yelling at the spirit until they get the vision. Mm -hmm. They actually... They dissolve, they, they dissolve their sense of being. They re-arise as this deity, right? And they visualize. They, they painstakingly visualize. And it's called generation stage. Kyerim, the generation stage. And they generate this visualization. And then they invoke and they pull that deity into the visualization. Right. So then they call that deity and their visualization and the the actual presence becomes inseparable in their mind, at least as long as they're able to hold it. And then after they've sort of stabilized this, and this is the position that all like the magic is done. Right. Like so the magic spells and and the, the action mantras and and the offerings and things like this, they're all done from this position. And then there's another stage after that called uh, Zogrim, which is perfection stage, where you do things that will literally, they manipulate the energies of the body so that you have an undeniable experience of what the mind of deity is like. So this would be like inner heat practice. Um, and, And this is where the sex yogas come in and things like this, because, you know, the orgasm is that ego shattering moment that's a window. Um, and so 
if we look at that, you see how important the imagination can be. So it is a way to bridge that as long as you let your visualization open to vision, right? Visualization is the construction. Vision is the reception. But they can meet and one can turn into the other if you're nimble and you allow it and you're skilled at doing that. But if you're, if you're just wishful thinking, then it's all visualization and you just think, well, whatever I think is true. And so this is why I always say, listen, if the spirit's not telling you anything you don't want to hear, probably not a spirit, right? If the spirit always shows up in full force, like the moment you say its name, maybe not a spirit. Mm -hmm. And if they only tell you things that confirm what you already think. Yeah. Because in my, in my experience, they say they're very alien in a yeah. lot of ways, depending on what types of spirits you're working with. They can be extremely bizarre yeah. um, in ways that I, would, I don't think I would have had the creativity to imagine. But, but idle time is so important. Um, I am also an artist and part of that creative process is also, you know, letting things incubate, letting yourself make connections. And, you know, I equate that to the same thing in, in meditation, letting things integrate um, because you, then you begin to understand in different ways. So idle time is so important. Um, for my students that are listening, that doesn't mean you don't have to do your homework. But maybe put the phone down for a little while for your yeah. idle time. So I, I found that for me, I spin and weave. And those are times that my hands have to be doing something. But my mind, my hands are doing repetitive things. So they're not, I, I don't know, maybe I'm ADHD perhaps. But I get tense if I'm not doing something. But that lets my body not distract my mind. And my mind can just relax and wonder. So. Thank you for putting that in the book. Um, right. There's a few more questions that I have, and I know we're getting close to time. So if you have to go, just let me know. All right. Yeah. Okay. I have so, a few more minutes. Okay. So I'm gonna. Uh, um, okay. I'm gonna skip a few of my questions. Um, one of my questions that I want to talk about is um, working with local spirits. You know, everybody goes for the deity. Everybody's looking for their matron, right? They're looking for their yeah. patron. Let's talk about working with local spirits. All right, let's. Let's do it. <laughs> you go. You go ahead. <laughs> well, you know, the, the thing is, you work with local spirits by, by being receptive, by making offerings, by researching the area that you live in. Um, and you can even do the same kind of uh, ritual that you do in an evocation, but instead of a spirit name and a seal, you're saying, you know, this spirit of this place, you know? Um, and the benefit is you get someone in something very, very close to uh to your life to your issue you know it it's let's say you go to star your local starbucks and 
there's a particular person there and they always screw up your coffee, right? Mm -hmm. Or maybe they were rude to you or something. Well, do you go to the manager of that store or do you go to the CEO of Starbucks? Right. right. Like going to the CEO of Starbucks does not seem like the most direct way to solve this problem. But that's kind of what people do when they're like, you know, I've got this small issue. I need to talk to the most powerful being <laughs> in the world. Because it's not all about power. It's about locality. And even if you were to able to contact that person, he's going to just filter it down anyway. To the manager, yeah. Yeah, you know, so he's going to assign it to somebody in their like in the region, then the regional manager, and then that manager, and then it's it's it also might not have the desired result that you think. So it's better to just handle these things one on one if you can, right? I mean, like get the you locals know, on your side. It, it might even be um, maybe you tip that barista a little extra and right. be exactly. ask them how they're doing next time. Like, yeah, you could like, even start there. <laughs> are we? You know, is did I was I rude ever? Like, you know, absolutely. So there are these, these ways that we can uh, work with local spirits. And the other thing is sometimes you think you're working with a big god and angel or demon, but you're really working with a local representative of the firm, mm -hmm. uh, what I like to call a mall Santa, right? So mm -hmm. the, the, the mall Santa idea, and, and this is an old idea, Yamblichus writes about it, um, but the idea basically is, as, as every, you know, when you get to be around four or five years old, if you celebrate Christmas, of course, you, you go to the mall and you sit on Santa's lap, and, and by the time you're four or five, it dawns on you, like, this guy is here all day he should be in the North Pole making toys. Like, I know how this works now. And, and there's another guy at another mall, and he doesn't look anything like this guy, even though they're both dressed like Santa. So the conclusion is they work for Santa, mm -hmm. right? So you go and you tell the mall Santa what it is you want, and you act like he's Santa, and then he passes it along to the big guy. So... It's a little like that. So getting in good with local spirits, working with local spirits is a way to even strengthen your connection to these big spirits and greases the wheels of getting things done just tremendously. Uh, it, it's been just a huge boon in, in my life and a lot of my students' lives to, to just unlock these with uh, offerings. Absolutely. And that's, I mean, that's where we start. The very first thing is like, what is the, the genius of the land that you're sitting on, you know, yeah. of your house itself? Like, let's start there, you know, and, and go forth. Um, so I'm glad you mentioned that in the book. Also, I want to talk about one more thing before, before I release you from my web. Um, <laughs> uh, so 
one of the things that particularly we're in, a, we don't have a whole huge Catholic um, culture down here. We've right. got a lot of Protestant, Southern Baptist, that sort of thing. So angels and demons to people around here are completely foreign because they don't talk about that even in church, you know, in the way that other, in, in the way that Catholicism does. So <laughs> they're absolutely terrified of, equally terrified of both angels and demons. Um, can you talk a little bit about working through the fears that are related to working with angels and demons and what they may be and why we may want to work with them? Just briefly. That's it. I know I heard well, it. I heard it after the, I said it. The, the fears of angels and demons and, and really any spirits and, and it are that I'm not working with the highest, goodest God, you know, and therefore everything else is out to get. Um, and it's just not reasonable, you know, it's just not reasonable. Um, for the longest time, ceremonial magic had this very anti-spiritualist stance um, where even if they were invoking angels, they would not ever want you to contact a local spirit because that spirit could tell you anything. You know, well, yeah, so could an Any angel spirit could tell you anything. Fact, the books you're working from will tell you this spirit lies his ass off. Like, you know, so... It's kind of, it, it's again, it's like, it's like it is with people. Are you afraid to go meet people because you're terrified that they will just, you know, wreck your life? Um, if so, then sure, reasonable to be afraid of spirits. But if you have a, a normal attitude towards meeting other people, then that's kind of how it's going to be with spirits, you know? Um, but lately, I, I'm seeing even the fear of the gods that people choose to worship, right? Like, like paganism is becoming a God-fearing religion, which, which is just weird. But people mm -hmm. all the time are like, well, I said that I would pray to the Morrigan or, or Hecate or whoever it is every day, and I missed a day. So now this god goddess is angry with me and I'm my life is going to be destroyed. And it's like if that is your view of this god or goddess that you've chosen to work with why would you work with them willingly? Like we all have people we need to deal with that that are like that, right? Like petulant idiots. <laughs> or easily offended and wrathful. Like you may, maybe you have people in your family, maybe you have people at your job and you don't have any choice. But if it's like just, you know, like that person out and about, you just avoid them. So since most people are not, you know, born into a magical family where they must pay homage to these gods, like, why are you doing that? <laughs> Why, you know, why would you assume that they're like that? And if you do assume they're like that, why would you even bother with them? It doesn't make any sense. What is the enormous benefit, right? Like, it, it, are the like, are, if you're if pagan conventions were run in like the Maldives or Monaco at 
you know, the like where you have to be a billion dollars and, and all the pagan authors are rolling up in Aston Martins and, you know, like we're in a James Bond movie because we all have <laughs> billions of dollars at our disposal, then, okay, yeah, sure. You know, where, how'd you get it? What, what spirit? <laughs> well, they're a pain in the ass, but, you know, they'll give you a billion dollars. Sure, I get it. But that's not how it works, right? So why are you bending over backwards or living in fear? And it, it's, it's horror movie thinking. Mm-hmm. The idea that, that this magic is out there and it exists to get you in trouble, but not to get you out. Right. Is, is horror movie thinking. Now, the other side of that is that everything is safe no matter mm-hmm. what. And that's also not true. That's imagination that's not realistic. Magic is a real thing. Of course there are risks. And so then people will be like, but I don't want risks. I want a sure thing. And be like, well, sorry. Magic may not be for you. (laughs) Nothing, nothing. Nothing nothing would be for you, yeah. You know, I mean, uh, I always bring up, I just did sort of an expanded edition of of protection and reversal magic that's going to come out soon. And so I again pointed out that it's like driving. You know, Mm -hmm. you get into a car. Every time you do, you could die. Mm-hmm. Um, you put on a seatbelt, you learn the rules of the road, maybe you take some defensive driving, and then you take your chances. And even if you do everything perfectly, still may have a problem. If you decide to do something risky, like, you know, drive in a stock car race, well, then... You're increasing your chances. <laughs> right. Different car, roll cage, helmet, five-point harness, so more protection. but. It, it's it's a risk and magic is a real thing so there's a risk but that doesn't mean that it's inherently risky and that everything is out to get you which is unfortunately how I what I'm seeing from more and more people I don't know where it's coming I wish I did I you know honestly I don't either because coming um, coming up in I, I, my introduction to witchcraft was in sort of the mid 90s and it was very more of a hippie sort of vibe. Um, And we just didn't have as much fear related to everything, which seems almost backward, but yeah, there's a lot of fear lately. And I don't know where it's coming from. You know, Um, go ahead. I think paranormal, like the popularity of the paranormal shows and and things like this, because you know, these guys go in and they want to make a show. So of course it's like, what happened? What evil happened here? And you know, and uh, then there's always there's also the horror movies, and there's also, I mean, I I I, I don't want to be the old guy blaming the new media, but you know, these damn TikTok kids. <laughs> it is there are some really like things on the witch talk that I'm sort of like, oh, okay. <laughs> bless, bless. But, <laughs> and I'm sure there's, there's great things too, and and so as somebody who's not on TikTok. I have to note that I always will hear about the, the bad, the diffs, yeah. But and that's um, the thing, so though, if, too. If you love TikTok. I'm not out here saying that it's bad and that there's nothing good. I think overall the medium itself is horrible, but so is every other kind of social media. So, but I'm right there with you on that. I wish I yeah. could break away from it. Maybe one day. <laughs> 
You know, if I could uninvent the internet, I would just go back to like doing early Tony Robbins, just taking out ads and papers, selling DVDs and right. And, Do the know, mail that, order correspondence, yep. <laughs> witchcraft course. Absolutely. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. I remember those days. They went away so fast. They so did. So fast. Honestly, oh. we had it right with Web 1.0. Mm-hmm. We had it right with emails and Yahoo groups and, and things like that. And then social media came and the algorithm started, you know, isolating us. Yes, absolutely. So it, yes, I agree. So I have one more question and then I and then you're free to go. Um, so what is your um, what is your next big project? The, the big project? It doesn't have to be something that's already in the works. It could just be like a pipe dream down the road. But what's the big thing that you want to present Ooh. one day? You know, there is, um, there is, I, I don't have like one single big, huge thing. Um, I, I managed to get a lot of those out um, in my 40s. So the Sorcery of Hecate, which, all you know, it's broken up into three stages, but altogether, it's like a year and a half of training. Um, and the the Black School of Saint Cyprian and, and things like this. I I do I am working on something that could potentially turn into a hardcover book, sort of a grimoire. I would love to see that done. Um, but you know, other than that, uh. I, I have no big, huge, definite chief aim plans until my kids are out of the house. They're, they're hitting their teenage years, and so I'm focusing on that because, you know, they're, they're at that point where they don't take a, as much time because of needs and dad, 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 dad. But that's also the time where you got to kind of be extra vigilant because they're they're striking out on their own and the mistakes they can make have big ramifications. And I'm kind of right there with mine. My oldest um, is she'll be 14 soon. And and I'm starting to be like, OK, you've got to shift how yeah. how you mother, you know, so. Yeah. That's gotta awesome. give them the space, yet also give be there as the reliable source. Gotta gotta give them some privacy, but not so much that they're you know that they're gonna do the shit I did when I was a teenager. <laughs> well, you know the thing is, again, the, I hate to go back to the digital, but if it's you different. And I did the things like some of the things that we probably said or did that that maybe they were awful, or maybe you know, and then. The people in the room saw it and heard it and then forgot about it. And now nothing, it's all recorded forever. It follows yes. you to a job interview <laughs> 10 years later. But also the potential for doing great harm or doing like doing those stupid things in a way that is visible to everyone everywhere on the globe. Yeah. Um, is just, it's terrifying. Isn't so, it? Like so, they need the space to screw up where it can be contained and they can yeah. learn a lesson instead it, of being raked through the coals. Yeah. Cause they're kids. Right. Right. You know, I mean, even, even in crime, we recognize the need for a juvenile record, right? Yeah. 
Mm -hmm. But the internet doesn't offer that. You know, I hadn't even thought about that. And, and, you know, we've created a culture where everyone is reduced to the worst things that they've ever done or said. So it becomes really scary. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jason, it's been absolutely wonderful having you on the show. I do hope you'll come back and speak with us again. I could talk to you all day. Um, Tell our listeners where they can find you. Strategicsorcery.net. That's my that's my website. You'll find my blog. You'll find my courses. You'll find my newsletter. If you want to know what's going on, sign up for the Monday Magic newsletter. Uh, you'll get a newsletter eh, most Mondays. Um, and and if you don't, then you don't. Uh, <laughs> but when I've got something going on, you'll hear about it. So wonderful well thank you so much and uh hopefully we'll see you again thanks for listening everyone and have a wonderful rest of your week blessed be blessed be thank you all so much for listening and don't forget to rate review and subscribe through your favorite podcast provider It helps us get our podcast in front of more listeners just like you. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can leave us a voicemail by clicking the link in the description of this episode. And you can always find us on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Crossroads and Cauldrons Podcast.